0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. A few weeks ago, um, I was able to preach at the Old Hickory campus, and before I did, during the confession time, they brought in a pastor. Uh, from Ukraine, and um, I'll butcher his last name. His first name is Anatoly, and his last name is Kaluseni. I don't think I'm saying it correctly. But um, what was amazing about Anatoly's um, confession was wasn't just it was like a missionary report kind of thing, but it was more of him instructing us. And you know, with all of us in this room knowing and seeing things that have been going on uh, in Ukraine and, and In a war-torn country, um, it's just the atrocities, horrible things. To have someone come over and not just speak of it, but to to lead us in confession. And what he said made me think, why do I even stand up and preach? (laughs) Um, He began by saying, I want to be honest with everyone. He said, my heart is struggling because I know Jesus says, pray and even love your enemies, but how in the world do I do that? How do I do that when I see what I've seen? How do I do that when I've experienced actual enemies of this other country of Russia and I don't know what to do? And it was just like this room. It was so silent. Talk about real confession in your face. He said, second, how do I deal with the sin I know of my own heart where I want to put myself in a better position than everyone else. That I know sin is real. And yet I, I want God to deal with it and yet I don't know how to manage that. I need him to do something in me. And man, that his confession, his honesty, his struggle, seeing what's going on around him and knowing what's going on in him of seeing his family, his friends, his country in the way it was. I'm about to read a passage for you. And we've been reading, we're going to read the same verse over and over. I'm actually going to read one extra verse from chapter 10 of Isaiah. But I want you to get a picture of what Isaiah is actually speaking to in this passage is very similar to what Anatoly was trying to, to deliver, Israel is not in a great place. They are struggling internally and externally. Internally, they're struggling with idolatry. They're struggling with sin of their own heart. Externally, there is a superpower called Assyria that is staring them down. And they are hoping in every way that they can either assuage or manage from being destroyed by this other country. And so you're gonna hear what God presents through Isaiah to Israel about what is he gonna do about it and who is he gonna bring. And listen to what he says. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, and Isaiah chapter 20, 20 and 21. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the governor shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now from chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In truth, a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, Isaiah's book is one that's so full it, it, it spans decades. It talks about a number of monarchies. It's it's really rich with content. But if there's any theme of it, it is talking about that that issue of <clears throat> how is God going to take care of Israel? And in this chapter, as we're looking in Advent, and what we're looking at there's four names. We're slowing way down. And we're looking at basically one verse. (laughs) And we're looking at four names of a Messiah, one who's gonna be coming, who's going to, to do this work for God. And last week, we looked at Wonderful Counselor. Today, we're gonna be looking at Mighty God. But as you, as you read commentators on this, there's all this struggle of who is this gonna be? Who is this person? You know, remember when Isaiah was written, <clears throat> it was before Jesus was on the scene. So nobody knew this was Jesus at the moment. You know, they had to, we have the, the opportunity to look back on that. This is before, now get this for you, this is before the, the first advent, right? So we're celebrating Advent, we're celebrating living between the two Advents, right? Christmas has happened, Jesus has come, and he will come again, but what are they doing? They're looking forward going, when is the Advent? When is the arrival? And They need that, they're longing for it. They need someone to come, and who's it gonna be? And commentators describe this person as someone who's called an invincible figure, striding across the world stage. An invincible figure striding across the world stage. If you're Anatoly and you're longing for someone to come, what kind of person are you wanting to come? What kind of person do you need to come? Today we're gonna look at the mighty God and we're gonna actually break it down similar to what we did last week. We're going to look at two parts. We're going to look at God. We're going to take the, the second part of that name, God, and then we're going to look at mighty, kind of the descriptor part of that. So we'll see two sections of that. <clears throat> and in that, when it says mighty God, the, the language of God here is it could be translated somewhat broadly. Isaiah uses this language quite a bit, but the word God, L. El, is that word, L? So maybe you've heard that before um, when you've heard the language of Elohim or things like that. When you read in the Bible, there are other places where this is drawn out. Sometimes, even in your English Bible, it'll even draw out the word L for that. And it's a distinguishing marker to say, this is not someone just in a human form, but someone greater. Now, some have tried to move this translation, the mighty God, to be something like a godlike hero. Maybe someone who's a heroic man who has godlike strength, right? Uh, this is where we can move into the realm of Marvel comics and those kind of things. But that's not what this speaking here. This is someone who's bigger than that. This is someone who's stronger than that. Even when you see in verse uh, 21 of chapter 10, it's attributing to the mighty God, it says the Holy One of Israel. You didn't, you didn't attribute that word holy or one in terms of capitalization of what it is here, A Holy One of Israel to a mere human. It was attributed to God himself. It was to one who was going to to come who is greater. And the name El is really important. Now we hear it and we hear Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel, God with us, right? That's what Emmanuel, that's where it comes from. We even sing that during Christmas. And I do think it's interesting that this is something that always gets me. um, That we have these songs that are classic Christmas hymns and songs. We can walk in stores all over the place at this time of year for a whole month and they're playing over and over and over. And they're singing about not a man, but God with us. But do we know what we're actually singing? Do we know what we're asking for? Listen to the um, song, the classic Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I'm gonna read you just a couple stanzas from it, and then we're gonna look at it for a second. O come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily. To us the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go. O come, O come, great Lord of might, who to your tribes on Sinai's height, Sinai was the mountain where God met his people and the Ten Commandments were given. You can read about it in Exodus. In ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Okay, when we sing that, we usually sing it in in a... in a tone of, oh, it's just beautiful, it's uh, seasonal, it's those kind of things. But if you were to reference and understand that type of language, what we're drawing from from the Old Testament, what is it? At Sinai, when Moses went to receive the law from God and the people came to that mountain, it was anything but uh, a moment of sitting and, and listening and being like, oh, this is great. They were scared. The mountain shook. You hear that? In ancient times, did give the law in cloud, in majesty, in awe. They actually said to Moses, uh, you go get it for us, you talk to him for us. We are scared of him. This is the God who came and descended. This is the one we're singing about. God with us. Do we know who's with us? The L. What it means to have the mighty God. We we want God with us, but but think about this for a second. Let's move even from the Old Testament. That's just one of many moments in the Old Testament where God's presence, and it even describes it in the Psalms, it shakes the mountains. Creation responds to him in ways where, where it just can't even hold it together. Mountains, trees, everything around him is falling down before him. And in the New Testament, we have some some moments because when we talk about God with us and we talk about Jesus coming, do we remember the moments where Jesus is in a boat and there's a storm not unlike what we just experienced? And these normal seafaring fishermen cannot control it. And it says in the the Greek language that Jesus said, be still to the storm. And it actually is a, is a language used of an alpha, someone alpha an animal, almost like grabbing the collar of a dog who just <laughs> won't listen. That Jesus is so powerful, his voice says that, and the fear of the people in the boat moved from the storm itself to the one who is in the boat with them, it says. That they recognize that there's someone sitting in the boat that is greater than what is going on around them. Do we know who comes with us? Emmanuel, who we're asking for, God with us. You see, you know what's incredible about this for us, to, to us a child is born? This is actually a pledge. This language would be recognized to them as a pledge that this birth of a child, of a Messiah, would be a pledge that God would actually come and do a work, that he himself would take it on. It was a pledge to his people that he cared, that what. What is Christmas about? What is Christmas really for? Is it just a reminder of, of niceties and sweet things, or that God crashes into a world that needs Him so desperately so that He alone can come in and transform it? One of the best uh, things that happens this time of year is the Charlie Brown Christmas. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't even know if you can get it as easily anymore. You could probably watch it on YouTube by this time. It's one of those um, older uh, cartoons that, you know, when I was a kid, you would watch on TV and it would last the full 30 minutes. But now I realize it's because the commercials in between <laughs> that were so much longer. And the, and the show itself is like 10 minutes long. Um, but the Charlie Brown Christmas is incredible. You, you need to see it. And it, it, it was all about Charlie Brown trying to figure out what is Christmas about? And we could talk about, you know, I mean, there's everything from, gosh, how mean his friends are to him, to him struggling uh, psychologically with, with, with the grief of Christmas, the difficulty of it. Uh, but there's a moment when they're putting on a Christmas play and want to, Charlie Brown's best friend comes on stage and he says, Charlie Brown, I'll tell you what Christmas is about. And the lights go down and there's a spotlight on Linus. And Linus is a character who carries a blanket around everywhere and he always has these moments of wisdom, but in this moment, his blanket is always with him, he always has it together. And this is the only time that Linus separates himself from his blanket And he quotes from Luke chapter 2 from this similar passage. And he says in Luke chapter 2, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying God, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And then the lights come up and Charlie Brown's face, it comes over his face and he kinda has a freedom for the first time in the entire thing. He's not a a weight around him like all of us feel during this time of year. So he realizes this is the reality. It's a sign. God coming close to us. You see that Christmas isn't just some religious option. This isn't something that God puts in front of us to say, hey, I just want you to have hope. He says, I'm coming myself to take care of this. And if we are anybody like Anatoly, who sees the difficulty around and in, who really feel it and experience it and know it, we don't want just some sweet sentimental story. We need God himself. He is the mighty God. This is what Tim Keller, the great pastor who just passed away he said none of us can be neutral about christmas (laughs) he says this who can be objective about a claim if it's true it means you've lost control of your life if this is real christmas isn't something we celebrate it's something we live we need the mighty god you know that God is, is that, El. You know, this is who comes to us, but mighty, it, it adds that descriptor as many times you see that word. It's El Gabor is, that, is what that language means. And Gabor, that language, it could be a description, an adjective, it can be a noun, it can be many things. But when mighty is, is spoken of, sometimes we've heard that word before in the, in the scriptures. It's another one of those words if you type it into kind of a, Bible gateway search engine thing. You can pull up a lot of different verses, but really when it speaks about God being mighty, it talks about his acts. It talks about what he's willing to do. When it's attributed to any human beings in uh, the Bible, particularly one that's right before this that many may have thought of when they even read this, especially when it talks about David, uh, the city of David in the following verses, they might have think of David's mighty men He had a group of people, Uh, David, who was a warrior, had a group of what were called mighty men, warrior people, who were like special forces, basically. And they were the special ops. They could, different than just the regular um, group that was a part of the military, they carried out specific needs for that force. You know, we have a lot of people even in our congregation have served in some of those specific special forces that know there's some sort of difference between that. But that's what it's getting at. It's saying a warrior. Mighty wasn't just a, a, a strong, like, he's so mighty. <laughs> but one that's a warrior. One that carried military success. This is what verse 21 21 say in chapter 10 it says in that day the remnant of israel and the survivors of the house of jacob will no more lean on him who struck them but will lean on the lord what it's getting at here is it's talking about assyria is in view and israel has decided the only way that they can survive is if they make collusion, make treaties, make peace with two parts, people that are their enemies, that are smaller, so that when Assyria comes, they can try and face them. They try and take it into their own hands. It even says, one commentator says, the choice that Isaiah and Israel are facing are whether to respond to the circumstances that threaten them with calm reliance or a frenzy of self-help. And you can see where God is trying to encourage them. But they will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth, a remnant return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God, the one who's strong. And you see this might in the Bible. And look, who is this Messiah? Who is the one that can be this strong that can come? And we typically think of Jesus, and we talk about the verses, he comes in he's swaddling clothes, and, and even as an adult, we, we think of him as mild, but if you look at what the response is of both demons, the supernatural, and even the natural, Herod and kings to his authority, they recognize it quickly. Even in his birth, Herod carries out one of the worst atrocities understood in a genocide trying to take out this male baby, knowing that this is a king prophesied, that this isn't just anybody. This is a warrior. This is someone powerful. When the demons even meet Jesus, they recognize him and cower down to him because of his actual strength. He is a warrior, he carries power. He is, as they say, an invincible figure that strides onto the world stage. And so here, here's kind of a question with that what, what do you want Jesus to do for you this Christmas? Do you want Jesus to be another moment in 2023 that we cycle through in December to remind you that this is a sweet season? Or do you want him to flex his muscles and address your sin as he should? If you were to ask Anatoly, what do you want Jesus to do? What do you think he would say? How honest are we with the sin in us and the sin outside of us? Does Jesus come to make treaty with the sin that he sees? The sin that is real? The brokenness around us? Or do you want him to stomp it out? I'll tell you what, I've seen more of my own sin this week and maybe it's because God knew I was gonna be preaching on this and the way that it bullies me This is passages about how God addresses bullies. Bullies within us and bullies outside of us. And if there's anything that you understand that I understand is that we have both. And the bullies that you have that consistently bully your heart and mind, do you want God to just deal with them in a kind way? just to repurpose them, just to reboot them? Or do you want Jesus to come and extinguish them? All the things that we see around in our world. When I heard Anatoly give that confession and I sat there and I thought, man, I'm supposed to get up and preach? He just gave the sermon because that's what we need is the mighty God because we have to deal with him. He is the one who holds all the cards. He is the one who's mighty to save. And how is he mighty to save? We see it right here at this table. This is the one who gives his body and blood. This is the one who didn't wait. If you wanna know how serious your sin is, and serious the sin in this world is, you can look no further than this table. Why did Jesus come at all? Why why was he born and then had to live and then die? And then rise again because the mighty one to save had to conquer every enemy that we have. And I'll tell you what, I want Jesus not just to handle my sin I want him to put his foot on its throat and destroy it I want him to bring justice in the places in our city and in our world that we are constant that we have service programs for for women who are coming off the street and abused for trafficking for little kids do you want Jesus to handle that in a way other than extinguishing that That's what he came for. This is the mighty God. And here's what's incredible. (laughs) He gives his body and blood so that you might be his. He gives his own body and blood. The mighty conqueror lets himself be in that position so that we can celebrate his first coming knowing that he will come again and we will live completely as we do now between the Advents, waiting his second return, where he will finish that work. We can sing and celebrate Christmas as beautiful and real, because how do we deal with what we're living in, the tension? You want a God who deals with the reality of your sin? Here he is. And you can taste and see that he's good. Because he doesn't just come to squash us. He comes to squash our enemies so he can rescue us. So he can, as it says, redeem us. But we want that mighty God. We need that Messiah who's powerful. Thanks be to God for his strength. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.